Welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. Today, writer-actor-director Hannah Pearl Utt and actor-writer Jen Tullock discuss their new film, Before You Know It, with moderator Tracy Gilchrist of The Advocate. This conversation was recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles during the film's opening weekend. Hello, hi, how is everyone? Uh, My name's Tracy Gilchrist. I am the feminism editor of The Advocate. And let's give one more big round of applause for Before You Know It. I was, I was going to do, I was going to do a big announcement, but they they couldn't wait. Uh, so we have, uh, we have uh, writer, star, and director Hannah Pearl Ut, and writer and star Jen Tullock. Thanks for coming, everybody. On a Saturday. I know. You should be partying. Well, there's time for that. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) So uh, first, I will start from the beginning, uh, sort of. Uh, These two have been writing partners and friends for many years. And I wonder if you could speak to the genesis of this particular project. This was actually the first thing we started working on together many moons ago. So we met in New York. We were waitressing together and drinking together. And that was about the extent of our collaboration. And we (laughs) knew we wanted to work creatively and and work towards being in the film industry, but weren't particularly sure how. So thought um, the easiest road to that would be writing a feature-length screenplay that would take a decade to get made. And so uh, we were lucky enough to sort of grow up in tandem with the script itself. Um, We would return to it sort of like a needlepoint over the years, and we got to make a series together, and we had a a short that was at Sundance in 2016, but this, this, we sort of carried around like a blankie. So it's a cool, (laughs) (laughs) like a tattered, disgusting, saliva-drenched blankie. (laughs) But we're, it's a cool homecoming now, because it was the first thing we started working on. Um, Do you want me? To, I, that's it. That's yeah, it. So she, she covered the story. You yeah. don't need to wait in. Uh, so I will give you. I will throw this to you. Uh, I read a lot online about why I think you may be so great at writing family dysfunction. Oh. is that you have a? <laughs> oh, I no one in my family is here right now. <laughs> Apparently, I should do some more digging online. Um, so you're so good at writing family dysfunction. Um, Possibly because you have a shared therapist. Oh, yeah. That's true. She might be here That's tonight. Um, We're well, not allowed to say her name, but if she's here, she knows we love her. Yeah, we have a really good therapist, so if anyone needs a recommendation. Remarkable. Fantastic head of hair. We actually haven't been to her together yet. That's that's the next step. and really f- Probably while we're still talking. <laughs> no, she's amazing. And, and truth be told, that has been a huge part, yeah. I think, of learning to communicate. Yeah, and learning to communicate with our families, I think, in a in a way that helped us understand where we inherited our shit from and how to take responsibility for it. Um, yeah, I love my family, if they're, if they're watching. <laughs> and did you seek out a shared therapist, or was it just something I that found was her. coincidental? Okay, technically she went to her first, <laughs> but I would say that our relationship is more sound. I do see her more often. <laughs> 
No, Hannah saw her first her and longer. was like, listen, you got to go. She's a wizard. You got to go to her. Um, I actually, I made all of my friends start going to her, um, which was great for a while because all of my friends were suddenly like really setting boundaries and taking care of themselves. And now it's backfired because I can't talk shit about anybody when I'm in there. <laughs> yeah, you just feel really guilty. You need to be a little selfish with the therapist. Uh, I wondered if these characters that you developed um, are at all, um, do they share any character traits with the two of you? And did you swap traits as, as far as the characters go? So we made a series together called Disengaged in which we played a couple. So this was um, a bit of a departure for us in many ways, namely that we weren't making out. But um, w one stark difference was that in that series, we sort of played each other's worst fears about ourselves. And so we sort of swapped. Rachel and Jackie are, in essence, our worst fears about ourselves. I, I mean, I'm terrified of being um, a manic ne'er-do-well that has nothing real to say. And <laughs> I, I can't speak for you. But they did turn into, I, I think, um, caricatures yeah, of what yeah, we were terrified of being. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, the, yeah, we, tr we tried to um, address the things that we weren't quite able to figure out in therapy with this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was very fun doing the opposite and disengaged. But I think it's good that we started there and then moved closer to ourselves with this. Great. And did you find that um, you worked some things out through the film? <laughs> you know, um, unlike most other aspects of our personal lives, I actually think we felt so healthy and strong and, um, and trusting of one another by the time we did shoot it that, no. I think that we are very proud of our friendship. And that was definitely manifest in the experience we had on set. There was a lot of trust. Um, I will tell you that that fight scene in the bathroom where I'm in that lamentable tube top is <laughs> the last thing we shot. Uh, and it was a night shoot and we were exhausted and Hannah in particular had been wearing nine hats and was we were both pretty broken. And getting to the point and that, I think emotionally in the meat of that scene where we were improvising quite a bit, felt that felt very intense. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it made it very good, so it worked. Um, so, Hannah, I mean, you co-wrote, you were co-starring, and then you decided to direct your first feature. At what point did you know that you wanted to direct this? And could you speak a little bit to uh, stepping into that role. I know you've directed other shorter projects. Yeah. Um, I, I think, well, Mallory knows this. I realized that I should, Mallory, uh, our producer's right there, Josh Hetzler, our other producer's right there. Um, I had started directing my own scripts um, a few years before we decided that it made sense for me to direct the movie. Um, this was... This was separate. This lived in a whole other world than the things I was making um, for myself, with myself. Oh, that sounds sexual. Um, it's okay. It's Saturday. <laughs> um, and then at a certain point, I, I felt like I had enough experience. After we made our series, I directed eight of the 10 episodes um, to take on a feature. and. And the timing was such that we were, that people were starting to trust us enough to give us money. Um, we had kind of built out our individual careers enough to ask people to give us this opportunity and, um, and had 
assembled enough of a team of collaborators to get us there. Mm, did that answer that question? I don't really know if it did. Uh, on some <laughs> levels, you know, I, I mean, I guess well, I just wonder what it's, I mean, this is a huge undertaking. Yeah, I'd been directing and we were making things together and we had this feature that we, we'd been working on forever and we were talking about directors that we could bring on and it just seemed insane. Like when I imagined somebody else directing the movie or having to give notes to somebody else, I was just like, that's not gonna happen. That sounds terrible. Um, and then it was a process of figuring out how to direct and what my voice was. Um, and luckily we already had experience acting in things together. So that was, that took an, um, a variable sort of out of the unknowables that I was dealing with. And you were, I mean, you were already in that process, well into that process of, of making a series of shorts and the series, but also Sundance, I think, had a huge hand yeah. also in that part of your experience, right? Because it was more about like figuring, yes, yeah, bridging the gap between myself and the material because Sundance Lab, yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah. The movie existed in its own world. We were like constantly in service of the characters, but like didn't yet know what we wanted to say with the story. We we're like, I don't know. These characters have stuff they need to say. It was just like a decade-long puppet show. <laughs> we were like, we really like these puppets. Uh, we were the characters' puppets. Can you speak a little bit, Jen, to working with Hannah as your director? I mean, this is your friend and nightmare co-star. Yeah, I was hoping for some horror stories. <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, I think that um, aside from the the given comfortability of of working with someone with whom you have an intimate friendship, um, just to speak to her creative merit, I think even if we hadn't known one another before, Hannah's an actress director, and I knew that from working with her previously. And when you're in an environment. Uh, particularly on an independent project where there's not a lot of money and there's not always a lot of time, um, things can feel rushed, and thing, uh, particularly when you're improvising. And I think um, Hannah's acuity for carving out a story while also making sure everyone feels like they have a sense of autonomy and they have a voice and it's collaborative is pretty tough to pull off. Um, and I hadn't found it previously with a lot of the other people I'd worked with. So it was great. I had a great time. Thank you. You're welcome. Great working with Five you. Five bucks. <laughs> so I'm watching this, and I'm uh, I call myself a theater queen, and Yay. yeah, <laughs> and I'm looking at Mandy Patinkin and Judith Light, and I'm thinking these parents are every theater kid and queer kids fantasy parents. Oh yeah. And you know, not only did you get them, but you got Alec Baldwin, uh, Mike Coulter, oh. and Tim Daly, which are you know. All fantastic known actors, as well as other supporting actors, and um, I just wonder if you could speak to working with, especially with legends like Mandy mm -hmm. and Judith. Yeah. Uh, well, Judith, we met at the Sundance Labs, so we invited her to come workshop the scenes with us, and she very quickly became our favorite person to spend time with, and um, and a surrogate mother. Um, and understood her character better than we did. So we wound up really developing that part of the script with her. And then Mandy, I think we were, we were both kind of intimidated to work with him, right? Going into it, we were really excited and that's just gonna stay down there. <laughs> um, and I was nervous going into it. Um, and it turned out there was no reason to be because he was so generous and so happy to be there. and 
extremely collaborative. Look, she's being coquettish, but I'm going to call a cigar a cigar. I was freaking the hell out to meet this guy. And we went up to his house upstate, and he and his wife very generously made us a spread of meats and cheeses. And he showed me the original score from Sunday in the Park with George, and I piddled a little bit. I piddled on my knickers, okay? So that's the real story. Um, I didn't want to say that. He's an angel from heaven. And uh, no, he was great to work with. I mean, once I got beyond the stroke that I had when I met him, he just wanted to work. You know, he wanted he wanted to get into the script immediately and was so collaborative and generous and kind. And um, I think respected Hannah so much that that really set a precedent for it was cool because the way we shot um, between Mandy and Judith was sequential. So Mandy's last day on set was Judith's first day on set. So we kind of got to have the emotional privilege of going through that timeline chronologically with them. And that felt very special. Um, but then it was just like saying goodbye to one person you had just be become okay around. Like, be like oh, here we go again. <laughs> there are, all of the actors we had were amazing to work with. Um, uh, well, thank you both for, for your versions of that story. Um, I love how the film um, reveres in some way um, Mel's um, kind of perception of art and theater while also um, kind of passing the torch to younger voices. And I think that's, um, you see that a lot in obviously where Mel torpedoes his speech right mm -hmm. before. Um, and I, I wonder if you could, oh, also when uh, Rachel is arguing for women in soaps and how they can be different kind of women and how young people love to see older women. And I, I thought that was really refreshing and I wonder if you could just speak to um, kind of in including that in the piece. Well, go ahead, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. No, that's okay. We wanted, uh, yeah, I mean that scene with Sherelle and Rachel is I think that's that's Rachel telling herself something that she's kind of just realizing she believes um, and trying to convince herself that that is the future of her relationship with this woman, um, despite the fact that she's been, everything she's done has been dictated by her father. Um, and as far as honoring, um, the Mel character's relationship to theater, uh, I think we, we tried to approach it more from the perspective of how he um, shows up as a parent for them. And while he has kept them in, in this strange petri dish of his creation, he has taken care of them. Um, and, and he did stay. And we wanted that ambiguity of, um, we didn't, we didn't want to blame either parent. We wanted to show that that both screwed up in their own ways because of their own um, side of the codependency coin. Ugh. I'm really off tonight, guys. I'm very tired. <laughs> you're you're not. I thought that was very good. It, I think an, another thing that was important to us early on, and the sort of polarity between Mel and Sherelle, was that um, you know you were examining one parent who, in order to uh, in order to maintain a sense of love for themselves had to leave. And another parent who in order to maintain a sense of love for themselves um, had to keep those closest to him so tethered to him that they couldn't leave. And uh, 
you know, we both were raised in kind of French communities. There's like a vast chasm between them. I was raised by evangelicals and like a mega church. Oh, and my mom texted me today. She wanted me to correct you. Oh, I wasn't raised by hippies. I was raised by um, an ex-con and a wannabe hippie. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. That's where I was going to go next. So Hannah was raised by an ex-con and a wannabe hippie. Um, as I've recently been informed, in Santa Barbara. But as such, neither of us were really integrated in a contemporary society, like in, w until well after pubescence, truly. And I think that made us interested in these sort of microcosms. I thought Lord of the Rings was history. I'll be honest. <laughs> and I thought that Leviticus was history. So, And it is. But we, you know, we were interested in what it looks like for a parent to, out of a sense of love and protection, keep keep their children uh, in this sort of hidden away cave, this anachronistic society of their own creation, where no one could touch them. When in essence, they were keeping them from their own real life. And also, Mel's not wrong in in doing yeah. what he wants to do. Like R Rachel really needs to, to to borrow from him in that way, um, and and leave behind the in, impulse to control everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we do want to save time for some audience questions. I had one question, I, uh, one more. I have several, but I'm going to just end with one more. And I was actually speaking with Jen about this earlier. I was talking about the film Booksmart. And I think it's a new kind of film. And I, I think that your film fits into that world a little bit. And I, I'll just preface it by saying that it, your film's book ended with a possible love story between women. Mm -hmm. And then there's also these little moments where <clears throat> Charles corrects Olivia and says, it's sex worker, not hooker. So there's the, there are these moments of modernity, but it doesn't announce them. Mm. It just is. And I wonder if you could speak to why it was important for you to include those things in that way. We always just want to make stories that reflect the world in which we want to live and in which we do live. And um, we don't live in an expressly white, straight, cis society. And I think that not out of some uh, moralistic uh, need does that, you know, has that informed our storytelling, but uh, I don't want to see a story that doesn't have queer people in it. I, I don't. That's, I don't live in that world. And I think that Rachel's queerness specifically was sort of landscape because that's how life is. We didn't want to canonize her um, expressly because she was queer. She just happened to be queer. And, you know, the primary... Uh, yeah, we've, we talked about her sexuality really just in terms of, like, what is Rachel? <laughs> Um, re beyond, again, it's the characters puppeteering us. Um, <laughs> Rachel let us know that she was queer, and we're like, yeah, obviously. Um, she spoke to you. From her turn. And then otherwise, it's just a matter of point of view. And we did, we really did want to tell an updated classic. That was what we were going for. We wanted it to feel like a big, older studio movie with our tiny budget and our um, unknown me. leads. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, it, it's it's all infused with our point of view, and and we wanted that part of it to be current. Great, thank you. So I can't see very well uh, into the audience. I see a few hands. Um, I'm going to go right here. I believe that's a blue shirt. Yeah. Uh, so if you say the question, I can repeat it. You consider consider all this therapy. 
the sisters can uh, appear to forgive each other, but it appears that you purposely did not forgive Judith Light's character. I mean, she gave her excuse for what happened, and you purposely said you as a parent had a choice, and even though there was a sort of reconciliation, there wasn't a, was it purposeful that she was not, I guess, forgiven for what she chose, even though what she made her decision was yeah. a generation I think that's more of, I think Jackie does forgive her. Um, okay. And I think. Um, yeah, I think Jackie kind of going with her at the end was what we were going for. And for Rachel, it's, it's more about um, respecting her own timeline with that and not falling into the same cycle she did with Mel of just doing what this woman wants out of guilt or a sense of owing her because she was cruel at the event. I also don't was think that forgiveness is a single step. I mean, you, you know, you're seeing often 20% of an experience when you see it in any given physical moment. And I think that the end for all of those characters is pretty nebulous, you know? And I think that you can forgive someone in a moment and say that you do, but that doesn't necessarily inform the rest of how you're gonna interact with them. And I think that's kind of what we had imagined for the life of this family is that it wasn't going to be wrapped up in something perfect. But we did want it to have at least an optimistic ending. We, want, we felt yeah, hopeful, hopeful for the future of a relationship with her. I certainly don't want to condemn her forever. Yeah. I don't believe in that. Uh, I see another hand up right up here. Where's it by you Oh, um, our casting director, Rory Bergman, found her. She was one of the first young people that we taped, and Rory was so excited to have the opportunity to bring her in because she was just like this person is amazing. Um, and when we met her, it was it was just like meeting Dodge. It was like meeting the Dodge we'd <laughs> been controlled by for the last however many you years. This puppet that. thing, yeah. yeah. Um, and Una was a master chef junior. She said when I met her, I was like, I gotta ask about that. She was like, oh, it's fine. Gordon Ramsay made me cry on national television. And I was like, what is this shit? <laughs> She's an amazing human. And Rory cast The Get Down, um, which had all of those incredible young actors. So that's why we we brought her on. Because that was our big challenge. I, I see one in the back. Hi. Hi. Congratulations. Uh, my question is about the use of the humor, the, the absurdity that sometimes you have, how you mix it, how you create this kind of humor. How did we create it? You want to take that? Sure. <laughs> um, she's she's funnier. <laughs> My mom told me that she today too. She just keeps strapping her purse. <laughs> I think that we, a lot of the things that we love about some of those older films that we grew up on, you know, the Bogdanovich movies and the Mike Lee movies, and um, it, it, were that they vacillated so quickly between like deep human pain and farcical laugh out loud humor, but they never felt like they did it in a way that was um, premeditated. It never felt like a, a, a bilateral move. It just, it was happening in the, uh, it was happening organically in the scene, in the story. And I think that was the most important thing. And I think we're both pretty wackadoodle in how we move through the world and- Wackadoodle. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> And she says, she says things like malarkey without even like. Okay, I was raised on Danny Kaye movies. I can't be held. Don't hold my feet to the fire right now. Uh, um, 
We wanted those characters to speak truthfully, and you know, because they are against a larger-than-life premise, and the landscape is so rich and, and at, at times surreal. Um, we just agreed early on, I think, in the writing, and then Hannah was really at the helm of that with the directing. That as long as they were experiencing things truthfully, we could let the pendulum swing however it needed to swing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I think we should wrap up soon. I see one question over here, so we'll go here. So for Girl, you keep singing. Thanks. Um, thank you for that. She was asking about Jackie singing all the time. Uh, Jackie was based on someone in my real life and my family that I love very much. Um, and the primary thing about that person I find interesting and deeply tragic is that she's riddled with mania. And it's very difficult for her not to perform and not in a cute way. In a way that um, between her tics and her need to do voices, when things get the most difficult, um, that's when she, I think the, the masks sort of multiply. And the singing was part of that. It was the, you know, you look, a thing I love about toddlers, because Jackie was also based on a toddler I know. Um, <laughs> is that they're so free with their body that even when they're uncomfortable, there is this sort of freedom with how they're processing. You know? They also like pretend to do the things they're actually yes. doing, like, I'm walking. And you're like, you're, you are walking. Yeah, a performance. <laughs> you are singing, Jackie. The singing, the singing and the whistling and like the, and the bangles even. We were like, we knew we wanted Jackie to be percussive. Um, because she can't stand the quiet. Poor sound people. Well, I think that we should probably wrap up, um, but thank you. So, did someone call out? Anyway, <laughs> thank you again for being here, and thanks to Hannah and Jen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.